0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, friends, good morning and happy Easter. Holy smokes, it's so good to be together. That was a it felt like a long Lent. Was it just me? I don't know. I'm just so happy that we're here, I'm so happy that we're singing hallelujah, I'm so happy that our church is covered in flowers and beauty, it is just so good to be together as a family celebrating this Easter together. So uh, back when I was uh, in college, so I attended Borromeo Seminary and, and John Carroll University, I, I took a course on anthropology at, at John Carroll, you know anthropology, human anthropology, it's asking the question, what does it mean to be human, what makes us human? And uh, one of the things that anthropologists look at, and one of the things that makes us distinctly human, is the fact that uh, we carry on as human beings funeral rituals. Right? It's a very distinctly human thing. Animals are not burying the dead. Right? When like at my parents' house the other day, there was a bird that slammed into one of the windows. She's like, "Oh gosh, it's so awful and tragic." But there wasn't suddenly like a gathering of birds like folding their wings and praying Latin over this dead bird carcass, right? It was just like, oh, that was bad for Fred, right? And like, it just kept carrying on, right? But we do. We do it in, in incredibly ceremonious ways. I mean, think about the, the great pyramids of Egypt, right, that housed the great Egyptian kings or the Taj Mahal that uh, was built to house one of the, the Shah Jahan's uh, wives, Mumtaz Mahal. Or think about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier or St. Saint Peter's, Saint Peter's Basilica itself is a massive tomb built over the bones, built over the, the, the tomb of Peter himself, right? He's buried right beneath the high altar. So I had all this in my mind, tombs and all of these things, funeral rites. Back in 2017, there was a group of about 11 priests. We went to, made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Anybody here ever been to the Holy Land by raising hands? Anybody? Okay, a few of us. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing time. If you ever get a chance to go, go. It is the fifth gospel. It'll change the way you hear the scriptures. Anyway, one of the high priests of the whole trip for us was uh, we went to the tomb of the Holy Sepulchre, which is this massive structure, the ancient structure built over what was uh, Calvary and the garden where the tomb was. It's this massive structure. We actually got to say Mass in what's called the Magdalene Chapel, which houses the stone slab upon which Jesus' body was laid. Incredible, incredible things. But here's the thing that struck me about that trip, and in particular that day we went to the Holy Sepulchre, because we went and saw so many sites, so many things. Here's the thing about the Holy Sepulchre. You go inside, you visit this place, and there's nothing inside. You don't seem very impressed. Okay, let me try and make my point. Okay. It's not like the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It's not like the Great Pyramids. It's not like the Taj Mahal. It's not like St. Peter's Basilica that houses Peter's relics. There's stuff there. You go to the Holy Sepulcher, you peek inside of a room, you're like, huh, he's not here. There's nothing here. Millions of people, right? This is what struck me. Millions of people... It's a great personal sacrifice and cost to themselves. Millions of people for thousands of years have journeyed, made pilgrimage to this place, this holy site in Jerusalem, to look at nothing. That's extraordinary. That is absolutely extraordinary. There's nothing to look at in the tomb. His relics are not there. His bones are not there. St. Paul put it this way, if Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith and our preaching is in vain. If he's not raised from the dead, this is pretty stupid what we're doing here this morning, right? I'm wearing some pretty silly things if he's not raised from the dead. That nothingness, that emptiness, that emptiness in the tomb, that nothingness is the foundation of Christianity. If you could venerate the bones of Christ, there would be no Christianity. Because, friends, Christianity, our faith is not about ethics in the final analysis. It's not about morals or values or how to be good. That's not what it is. It's about a person. It is about a person who is either alive and accessible or not, and not at all. Pope Benedict put it this way. He said, being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. Right? No one thinks their way into being a Christian. He says, being a Christian is the result of an encounter with a person, which gives life a new and decisive horizon and direction. Think of it this way. Being a spouse... Being a married person is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, right? You don't think, hey, I, I, I want to be a spouse. You become a spouse because you've met somebody, right? Another, in person, you, you, another person, you've encountered another person in such a powerful way that they've made a total claim on the rest of your life. That's what a Christian is. It's a person who's met Jesus. If, they, if his bones were still in the ground, none of us could be Christians because none of us could have encountered him. You can't encounter dead people. You can't. So, what is going on with this story that we proclaim year after year, Sunday after Sunday, this deep mystery of our faith? I want to defamiliarize ourselves a little bit with this story, and kind of retell it. What happened? We celebrated it on Good Friday that Jesus. He was put to death. He was killed by a professional Roman death squad known as a quaterino in the Latin, a quaterino. They were hand-selected soldiers. They were kind of the more sadistic of the legions, right? They were the ones who kind of were not exactly right in the head. They were specifically chosen to carry out these professional executions. They were strong and brutal men, and they enjoyed the torture that they inflicted on their victims, right? There was a fifth man of this squad. He was called the exactor mortis. He was the overseer of the four, and his job was to ensure that these four didn't show any lenience in their punishment of the criminals. The exactor mortis, his job was to make sure that the dead man, or the condemned man, got dead by the end of the day. That was his job. And they were good. They were good at it. The word excruciating, right, we describe pain as excruciating pain, comes from the Latin excruce, meaning from the cross, They were really good at inflicting unbelievable pain on someone from the cross. So only after three hours, Jesus' body is dead. He's taken down from the cross. Usually it takes victims days or weeks to die on the cross. He was dead in three hours because they were brutal. They were brutal. He's taken down from the cross. His body was received by Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, and the women. And they embalmed his body, it says in the Gospel, in 100 pounds, of aloes and myrrh and spices, right? They wrapped his body in linen. They placed a cloth called a cedarium over his face. That was the tradition. Just in case, this was the idea, just in case the, the person that you're, in, that you're wrapping was not quite dead. So you would leave this, lightly, uh, this, this face cloth lightly on the face. And they buried him. They buried him. These were people who did not expect Jesus, Jesus to come back. These are people who are, who are carrying on funeral rituals. These are people who are not expecting resurrection. You don't embalm a body and a hundred pounds of aloes and myrrh and spices because you think, I bet he's coming back in three days. Like maybe we could just save some money and just keep the aloes and myrrh. No, they thought he was gone. He's placed in this tomb. What were, what were these tombs? Well, here was the idea in the ancient world. These tombs were these hand-cut caves cut into soft rock in the, in the, in the surrounding countryside. A large rock would be rolled in front of the entrance of the cave after the body was placed in there to keep the odors out, or to keep the odors in and the animals out. That was the idea, because after the body was in the cave for a year, it would decompose. They would roll the stone away after a year, collect the bones, and put the bones in a little box called an ossuary, and that box would be placed in the family, in the family vault, in the family tomb. That's what they were planning on doing. That's what they were planning on doing. In the gospel we just heard, also in Matthew's account, of the Passion narrative, Mary Magdalene, she comes to the tomb, it says, early in the morning. If you've ever lost a loved one, you know how hard it is to sleep. It's probably what was going on. She couldn't sleep. She just couldn't. Her mind was turning it over and over. How could the one who raised the dead be dead? And she comes to the tomb early in the morning and she sits there facing the sealed tomb Friends, if you haven't been there in that place yet, like, you will. And it's awful. Death is shattering. Death is shattering. It's so unnatural to sit there and to know that there's nothing more that can be done for this person. There's no more tests that we can do. There's no more trial experimental drugs that we could try. They're gone. There's a period now at the end of their life this person with their eyes and their smile and their voice and their laughter, this person and their unique and unrepeatability, this person is gone. Friends, we've had some, like every year, every year as a priest, I mean, one of the most humbling things you get to do is walk with people in the most grief-stricken days. We've had some powerful, unbelievable funerals this year. The loss, oh my gosh. The loss, the, the ocean of human grief. It's unbelievable. Like every single one of us could tell a story that would make every person sob. We all carry within us grief and pain and loss and trauma, right? From every miscarried baby that was filled with so much hope, from every miscarriage to every soldier that died in battle to every person that died in a nursing home, to the kid that just died last week, walking home from school, gunned down in the streets. There is so much pain and loss, right? Death is this monstrous stone that's rolled in front of our humanity, this awful monstrous stone that seems to boast and say, I win in the end. You may have some fun in the meantime. You may think that you're delaying me, but in the end, I will eat everything, says death. Everything that breathes, I will take in the end. That stone, that's, who, that's what Mary Magdalene is facing, this stone that cuts us off from those that we love. We're on this side and they're on that side and there's no bridging the gap. No one from there comes back. So she comes to the tomb early on the third day and she comes and she sees the stone rolled away. She sees the stone the way that the, the Greek... Of the gospel renders it. it, it, There's this tone of like nonchalance that's just like tossed off to the side, like you and I when we get home from church. Like you take you loosen your tie off, you take your tie and you toss it off to the side. You take your T-shirt off, toss it off to the side. Socks, one sock goes here, the other sock who knows where it goes, right? That's how the stone is just tossed off to the side. It's brushed aside. And she's petrified. She doesn't think, oh my gosh, he's raised from the dead. She's petrified. She thinks that a grave robbery has occurred. So she runs and she tells Simon Peter, they've taken his body. Simon Peter and John, they race to the tomb, they look inside the tomb, and it's what they didn't see that's changed history. They didn't see a body. They saw burial bands still wrapped in the shape of a body, but deflated. As if that body passed right through it and that that sudarium, that face cloth, folded up and placed to the side. Now if you're a grave robber, would you go through the trouble of unwrapping the body, taking the body, and putting the cloth back in the shape of a body? Especially when you got a Roman legion of guards outside the tomb guarding and if they failed in their post, they were all going to be executed. Do you think you'd do that? No. What they didn't see changed history. See, what happened to Jesus' body was not resuscitation. It's not like what happened to Lazarus, right? Lazarus came back from the dead, but he was still wrapped in his burial bands. He had to be unwrapped. He died again. What happened to Jesus is something totally different, something totally new. A whole new form of human life opened up. A life that conquers death. A life that pushes that stone off to the side and says, What is death? Death wears your sting. So here's the question I want to ask for us this morning as we reflect on the resurrection. What does all of this mean for you and I? What does this mean? Friends, we could preach for hours on what this means. I just want to focus in on one thing about what this means for us. It means this, and listen in. It means that our hearts aren't stupid or naive for desiring, for wanting, for longing perfect endless love our hearts aren't stupid or naive for wanting perfect joy and peace and perfect endless life for wanting those best moments you know those moments in life that are so exquisitely good and exquisitely beautiful you wish you had the remote control of time where you could just say pause pause i want this moment to last forever we've all tasted these moments at different moments it was the birth of a child. Maybe it was meeting a spouse, long nights in front of a bonfire with friends, the beauty of a sunrise. I don't know what those moments are for you, but we all have these moments where we wanted to pause life and say, I want this to last forever. Our hearts aren't stupid. Here's, here's, here's the, I was thinking of the, how I can explain this. This is the best way I know how to explain this, and stay with me. This might sound weird. I have a very intense love-hate relationship with springtime. Okay. And not just because of the allergies, okay? I have a very intense love-hate relationship with springtime. I love, in a way I can't even describe, trees in bloom, flowers in bloom, when the crocuses and the daffodils, when they all start popping and the Crabapple trees and the magnolias when the things are blooming and bursting. I like, I'll drive in my car. I was with Deacon Rich the other day. We were driving, and I was literally moaning seeing these blooming trees, right? What's the, the summit, right? You drive down the summit. You see the things are starting to pop. But I also hate it in a way I can't describe. Like these flowers. Like, I love these Easter flowers, right? You come in the church. You smell it. It's glorious. I love you, Flowers. But I also hate you because in just days, you're going to be wilting. I, like I, maybe I'm crazy. I don't think I'm the only one, but there's a part of me that literally hates this. I hate that there's beauty that doesn't last. I hate this. I hate it so much. These buds that are so beautiful, they awaken this thing in me. But I know it's not permanent, right? I want a beauty that doesn't fade. I want blossoming trees that stay in bloom. I want sunsets that never set. I want bonfires that never die. I want joy and happiness that isn't threatened. I want life that is secure because you and I, we all know in our experience, right, like life is fragile. It's so fragile and it's so fleeting. Like the loved ones that are buried in cemeteries. I don't want them in cemeteries. I want them alive. I want to hug them, embrace them. I want more hugs and kisses and laughs with them. I want more hellos and less goodbyes. I want what Jesus promised his disciples and the night of the Last Supper when he says, you will, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And then he says this, like, and really try and hear this. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I want a joy that nothing and nobody could take because my experience, your experience says that everything around us is beauty that comes and goes, joy that is fragile and fleeting. It's here one day and a week later, you're choked with grief. Like the two blue lines show up on the pregnancy test and there's joy. And then days later, it's gone. The shoe drops, the rain starts to fall. Is this life a graveyard or a garden? That's the question. There's a book in the center of the Bible called The Song of Songs. It's this amazing story of love between a bridegroom and a bride, these lovers. Deep intimacy and affection. And Pope Benedict, he is reflecting on a line from The Song of Songs. He says, The lovers in The Song of Songs, there's a cry that comes from the depths of their hearts. A cry for a love that is stronger than death. He says this, this boundless demand of the human heart, which he calls Eros, which is this Greek word that means longing, this longing and desire for a beauty that doesn't fade, a love that doesn't fade. He says this cry of Eros brings us to the basic problem of human existence. Listen, we long for a love and life and a beauty that lasts forever, but we are confronted with death like a stone. And then he says this, and this is where where we need to try and let our hearts receive. The resurrection of Christ is God's response to that cry of eros for a love, a beauty, a life that lasts forever. My friends, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real... And we can enter into that ourselves, then we're not just destined to return to dust, like we said at the beginning of Lent. Remember, you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. Yes, that's true, but we are not just dust destined for the grave. We are dust destined for divinization. We will outlive the stars. It means that our hearts aren't naive. They're prophetic They're whispering all along to us in all of these moments that endless ocean of beauty you long for, that endless life of infinite and perfect love and communion, that joy that you want that cannot be taken from you, it will be yours. Friends, we have to hold on to the hand of the one who stepped out of the grave. And the miracle of miracles is that that one has come to us, the risen Jesus, It's not just a statue. The risen Jesus is alive and he's present in the church and he comes to us in the sacraments. He comes to us especially in the moments of deepest grief and deepest darkness, the moments of greatest sorrow. He's there like this flickering candle, like like a votive candle whispering to our hearts this hope that says this is not the end. This sadness will not have the final word. I have conquered death. Friends, the tomb is empty. He's passed through death. The stone's been tossed aside and our hearts, our hearts have been right all along. Yes, it's true. It is true. You are really made for an endless joy, a perfect friendship, perfect endless life and love and bliss beyond our wildest dreams because he's alive and he's risen. Amen. Amen.